This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. Thank you so much for joining us again. I am glad that you are here on this journey through the encyclical by Pope Leo XIII, Rerum Novarum. It's an excellent encyclical. I'm enjoying studying again for myself. The last time we looked at the the introductory matter, the problems that are defined by the Pope, why he was writing this encyclical, and the laying out of some very foundational principles. The other day I had a co-worker that, that made me laugh. They were on the phone with a landlord, and the landlord was trying to overstep their bounds and do some case management. And the co-worker, in a firm voice, asked the landlord, which one of us is the case manager and which one of us is the landlord? They said, well, I'm the landlord and you're the case manager. And then my co-worker said, well, I'll be the case manager and do that work, and you be the landlord and do that work. Is that an agreement? I also remember in the movie Full Metal Jacket where Arlie Emery, who was playing the role of Sergeant Hartman, asks one of the soldiers, can I be in charge for once? (laughs) Well, knowing who is to be involved in a situation and who plays what roles is very important in the accomplishment of any task, especially with the running a good, just, and healthy society. And today, as we continue our study of this encyclical by Pope Leo XIII, the Pope begins a look into the proper roles of the church and the government in the world. This is very necessary. Oftentimes, that can get mixed up and get a little too messy. So he talks about the proper roles today and begins this discussion. Today, we're going to look at several paragraphs that discuss the role of the church in a society, and next time we'll look at the role of the government in a just society. But in paragraphs 14 and 15, to continue our journey, here the Pope begins with a what the government role is not before getting into the church's role. He mainly focuses on why socialism is a bad idea. And if you haven't got the point right now, Pope Leo XIII was not a fan of socialism. What the Pope brings out is that the government has no business intruding into the affairs of the family. Now, this is very important in his discussion. He's going to be talking about this, and it really applies to our day more so. The Pope would be shocked to see how things have have not progressed, but rather gone backwards in, in government intrusion. But the government has no business intruding into the affairs of the family. As he says, and I quote, the government is never to take on a parental role. He states that the children belong to the parents and the family belongs to God. He states that the government comes from the same source as the family. So the government is not the source. 
Rather, just like the family comes from God, so does the government. Therefore, it is equal. It is not over the family. The government, and I may shock you, but I doubt I'll shock you with this. I'm being a little sarcastic, but the government does not know everything. In fact, the older I get, the more I realize the government knows very little and lacks wisdom often. Maybe certain government officials have great wisdom, but they are certainly not the norm. He teaches us that the only time the government should be involved in the life of the family is if there is an absolute need for help due to an injustice that is happening within the home, but that the government should be very careful not to overstep its bounds, that the government is to quickly solve the problem and then walk away. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if we had that? Uh, in our society. Wow, that would be wonderful. I think now, and you know, we've all been duped by the tech companies, but we've been duped because the tech companies are listening in our homes, on our smart devices, and that is not good. Be very careful. Please, please don't be a sheep. I don't use Siri on my phone for a reason, because it is watching. I don't have Alexa because she's watching. And I say she and just because it's an inanimate object. But this is not conspiracy. It is the truth. We're being entertained into agreeing on our smart devices to be listened to and to be observed and to be controlled and manipulated. The Pope then concludes here that the best protection against government intrusion is what? What would you think that Pope Leo XIII says is the best protection against government intrusion? You guessed it, private property. See, we should create a society where very li where there's very limited places for rent and rather create an atmosphere where everyone has the chance to own property. If you want more information on this, look up G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton actually has a lot to, to expand on on this in the idea of distributism, and we'll talk about that another time. Now, in paragraph 16, the Pope now brings out that the real solution to the ills of society is the church, specifically the gospel. He makes a few points here. The first point he makes is that the church is the voice of truth and must speak up. You see, it's not enough just to be the voice of truth. You got to speak, use that voice. I just finished reading a book that I won't name, but the book brings out that the church is to be the prophetic witness to the world. And it has failed in the past few generations to be that prophetic witness to the world. But the church must speak up. If the church remains silent, the Pope shows, then it is neglecting its duty. The second point he brings out is that the church is not the only voice. The government has a voice, workers have a voice, families have a voice, and so on. And all those voices should be heard. Again, that's the idea. True social justice, bringing everyone to the table to figure it out together. A third point he makes is that the church is not just focused on spiritual things, but is to be focused on temporal things as well, because it's not enough 
I want to say this very carefully because I don't want you to, to get the wrong idea, but what he's saying, it's not enough just to talk about heaven, <laughs> but we've got to live life here on earth too. And this temporary life has temporary problems that need resolved. So he says, we've got to focus on those as well. Another point he makes is that the church is to create organizations that help families, workers, and brings justice to society. So the church has a right and a duty to create organizations that do that work. And I would encourage our Catholic organizations to question themselves. And I'm not being trying to be confrontive here, just just trying to to challenge you just like I challenge myself all the time is, are you in line with the Catholic social teaching um, as an organization that claims to be a Catholic organization? Because I've heard many complaints from many people and they seem legitimate. So just, you know, it's okay for us as a church to check in with ourselves from time to time and ask if our charitable organizations are working. For one thing, are they doing what they're supposed to do, and are they in humble submission to the teachings of the church? Now, in chapter 17 and 18, he brings out that we are suffering the consequences of sin in society, so the government cannot eliminate those consequences. It is kind of a bizarre situation we've got where the government is trying to eliminate. You know, it's like in today's society, the progressives are... It's almost laughable that they're tearing down statues of people in the past because they were maybe owned slaves. The people those statues represent, they're trying to eliminate this thing, that thing. You can't say this and you can't say that. I'm sorry. No matter how hard you try, you cannot eliminate the consequences of sin. You cannot legislate your way into a perfect world. So the government cannot eliminate those consequences. He states that socialists are trying to reduce everything to one level, which is a grave mistake, because the fact is that God is creative. Therefore, humans made in God's image are creative. So humans living in society should not be reduced to a bland sameness and to a common unity that is bland and uncreative. The fact is that there are many levels to a healthy society. There are many expressions of being human. On the other hand, there is sin and its consequences, and we're going to have to just put up with that in this life. Now, he finally states in these paragraphs that the idea of class warfare is silly, like Karl Marx, you know, talking about class warfare, Saul Alinsky played right off of that script. But he says the class, the idea of class warfare is silly. He says that the classes are not at war with each other. There is struggle in society, yes. But that struggle is on various levels, not in a bland war between classes. And so for the socialist to take over, they have to convince us that there's a class warfare, which actually is not really existing or happening. Let's move on to paragraph 19 and 20. Here we read these paragraphs, which spell out the role of government in creating peace among people, not managing 
class warfare. So he says government is to be about creating peace among people, not managing class warfare, and that the agreement should be made between capital and labor. Uh, so let's look at that in paragraphs 19 and 20. Here in the encyclical, and I'm going to do some reading. In paragraph 19, he says, The great mistake made in regard to the matter now under consideration is to take up with the notion that class is naturally hostile to class and that the wealthy and the working men are tended, intended by nature to live in mutual conflict. So irrational and so false is this view that the direct contrary is the truth. Just as the symmetry of the human frame is the result of the suitable arrangement of the different parts of the body, so in a state is it ordained by nature that these two classes should dwell in harmony and agreement so as to maintain the balance of the body politic. What a brilliant way of putting it. He states that just as the human body has a left side and a right side that mirror each other, so the working, the workers, the laborers, and the you know corporate execs or the employers they should just be two halves of the same body politic mirroring each other and being in mutual agreement with each other notice this each uh, pope the pope says and i quote each needs the other capital cannot do without labor nor labor without capital mutual agreement results in the beauty of good order while perpetual conflict necessarily produces confusion and savage barbarity. Now, in preventing such strife as this, and in uprooting it, the efficacy of Christian institutions is marvelous and manifold. First of all, there is no intermediary more powerful than religion, whereof the church is the interpreter and guardian, in drawing the rich and the working class together. You see, and the church does this, he says, by reminding the capital and labor of what their duties and obligations are. And then he goes on to spell out those duties. I won't take the time to, to read paragraph 20 for you. It's a long paragraph, but please read it. It is phenomenal. Again, you can find this on the Vatican website and just go to Pope Leo XIII's picture because they list all the popes in history and click on his picture and his encyclicals pop up and click on Rerum Navarum. Now, in paragraph 21, I want to do a little bit of reading and expounding on this because it's so significant. But he says in paragraph 21, but the church with Jesus Christ as her master and guard aims higher still. She lays down precepts yet more perfect and tries to bind class to class in friendliness and good feeling. You see, while the social justice warriors and the socialists try to pit the classes against each other. The church, he said, is to be about the business of bringing people together in friendliness and good feeling towards each other. In other words, I, I like how he adds good feeling. In other words, it tries to promote a feeling of trust rather than of suspicion of each other. And that's really what the socialists and the Marxists do is they begin messing with our emotions before they start speaking their, their beliefs. They get us to feel like there's a warfare. 
They don't say there is one. They just give us feeling that way. So the Pope says the church's job is to create a good feeling with people. And that can be in mutual agreement with friendliness. He goes on to say the things of earth cannot be understood or valued to write without taking into consideration the life to come, the life that will know no death. So he says you can't really have success in justice unless you have an understanding of eternal life. And he says exclude the idea of a future and forthwith the very notion of what is good and right would perish. No, the whole scheme of the universe would become a dark and unfathomable mystery. But the great truth, which we learn from nature herself, is also the grand Christian dogma on which religion rests as its foundation that when we have given up on this present life, then shall we really begin to live. God has not created us for the perishable and transitory things of earth, but for things heavenly and everlasting. Therefore, if we're reduced, I'm not quoting the Pope now, I'm speaking for myself, from my own opinion, but trying to understand what the Pope is saying here, that as if we, we believe that there's no eternal life and that this life is it, and we're reduced to the here and now, then there's loss of hope. Why bother with this? Get all you can now and forget about others. However, the Pope brings out and reminds us very firmly as a good father that there is eternal life. There is a future after death. Therefore, we have to keep that in mind that I'm not just to treat my workers and give them good wages and to, to give them uh, a good treatment and to get, allow them to have times to rest and so on. I'm not to just do that because I'm a good employer or because I want to, to uh, make them even more productive and happier for my sake. Rather, I'm doing it because I want to be the person that God wants me to be. It is godly to treat my workers justly. And on the other hand, it is godly to respect my employer and to work hard for them. I like what St. Paul says in the New Testament. He says, tell slaves, don't just work when your master's around watching, but work when they're just as hard when they're not around, knowing that you have a father in heaven who sees the work you're doing. Now, in paragraphs 22 and 23, we have the great balance. And here's the great balance. And the Pope quotes St. Thomas Aquinas that people have a right to private property, the, but the balance is that we belong to each other. You know, there's a sort of false notion in America that I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, that I, 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 I have the right to free speech. I have the right to carry, to bear arms. I have the right to whatever. We rather should say we, we have the right. Therefore, I'm not just looking out for my rights. I'm looking out for your rights as well. That's the great balance. Yes, I have a right to private property but I also belong to you. So if you're struggling, I'm going to use my property and say you're struggling with food. I'm going to share the produce of my property with you. 
And that's the great balance. The well-to-do are to share their abundance with others, especially the poor. I think in the book of Acts in the New Testament of the Bible, where this says the believers shared everything in common. This was not a socialist thing the believers were doing. It was a communal, voluntary communal practice, believing they were all part of the body of Christ. Therefore, they belonged to each other and they shared everything in common. Again, not in a socialist way, but in the voluntary way of love. The poor are to not be ashamed of being a common laborer, for God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith, the Pope says. And in paragraphs 24 and 25, he says we are all called. No matter what economic class we find ourselves in, we are all called to virtue to become saints. The rich in their situations, the employers, they are called to virtue and to be saints, and the common labor is called to virtue and to become saints. So what a profound uh, reminder on this. Now, I would love to expound more on these paragraphs. Uh, The Pope brings out so many dynamic things. Again, encourage you to read this encyclical for yourself. Paragraphs 20. Three and 24 phenomenal thoughts that just blew my mind once I read these again, I'd rather 24 and 25. Now paragraphs 26 through 30 to finish out today, we're going to end with paragraph 30, but he shows that the church has transformed societies throughout history, where it was carried its work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Pope is saying these are not just Uh, pie in the sky ideas that I'm presenting about the church and its role in society. Rather, I have historical proof. Pope Leo XIII says, wherever the church has gone, it has transformed societies through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was talking to an atheist friend of mine one time. This guy's an out and out atheist, not an angry atheist. I mean, what I mean is, an intellectual atheist. He believes through his intellect that uh, atheism is the way to go. And he was telling me one time, he said, now, Michael, I have to admit as an atheist that wherever the Catholic church has gone in the world, it has created great societies. Wow. What a testament. Now, Pope Leo XIII goes on to state uh, a very interesting principle that when a society moves away from its founding principles, it suffers oppression and injustice. Therefore, the answer to an ailing society is to help it return to the reason it was founded in the first place. Again, as stated earlier, we'll state again that he states in these final paragraphs of today's study that the church is not to just focus on spiritual things, but has a duty to help with the needs of the poor and the suffering. And the church has understood that duty right from its very beginning. He uses the examples of deacons and God bless our deacons. But why were deacons created in the church to take care of the temporal needs? Uh, in the book of Acts, when they were, the deacons were created. In fact, the first martyr, uh, martyr of the church was a deacon, St. Stephen, but What the deacons were created for was to feed the widows. The church was made up of the Greek-speaking widows 
there in the book of Acts and the Hebrew-speaking widows, and the Hebrew-speaking widows were being fed while the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked, and a big complaint was brought to the apostles about this. And the apostles brought out that they shouldn't be distracted from the preaching of the gospel by taking care of the widows, so they created the office of deacons to take care of the widows. That is the temporal, uh, practical, everyday needs of the people. So God bless our deacons. And remember, if you are a deacon listening to this, why you exist. Form to begin with and look at the example of St. Paul as well, uh, who not only built, planted churches, started churches and got them built up, but he also made sure to get alms to the poor in the process. The Pope states that the church is to prevent the poor Notice this, to prevent the poor from having to do the undignified task of begging, but rather is to remedy their situation. Now, the church's task is to lead us to Christ and to lead us to an ordered and just society as the Pope finishes out his thoughts in these final paragraphs of today's study. Now, next time, when we get into... Paragraph 31 and following, the Pope gets into the role of government and society. Wow, that's a lot. That is a big download of information. I encourage you to listen to this again if you need to, but especially read the encyclical. Yet in all of this download of information, the Pope states that the church is not just to present these principles in an abstract way, but is to live them out in the concrete. You know, it's easy to sit in your car, sit in your home, and mentally agree to what I'm saying here in this podcast, but doing it and putting it into practice is what it means to be a disciple of Christ and what we are called to. We are called as Christians to get down into the streets and into our neighbor's world and our neighborhood to create a just society right where we are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.